You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and we are fresh off of another commitment for Penn State Nittany Lions as their 2024 recruiting class continues to expand back-to-back days here to begin the week for Penn State in terms of adding an offensive lineman to their 2024 recruiting class. It's a group that is now inside the top five nationally in 24-7 sports rankings for prospect halls that cycle. We're going to jump into a lot of that conversation in just a second with Tyler Calvaruso, who has been covering the latest at Lions247.com. In just about 15 minutes or so, we will shift gears. We'll keep Tyler Calvaruso on board. We'll bring in our friend Daniel Gallen, and we'll put the focus on the incoming freshmen and transfers who are still set to impact this Penn State roster. We finished last week with a conversation with Mark Brennan, with Daniel Gallen, going position by position, some things we learned during the spring practice period. But, of course, looming uh, uh, across all of that is that this is an incomplete roster on the blue-white game, and this is an incomplete roster that we witnessed for those five weeks of spring practice. We'll delve into that discussion, talk about how things could change from a personnel outlook between now and Penn State kickoff against September 2nd as they bring in more players. But let's get to the headliner of the day, and and that's Egan Boyer, and he follows in another offensive line commitment that came on Monday. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Tyler Calvaruzzo, it's been a busy start to this week. Penn State is escalating in a hurry when it comes to their class building efforts for the 2024 class. Yeah, you know, Ed Egan Boyer, the big tackle from North Carolina this morning or this afternoon. He committed at noon. And, I mean, then Garrett Sexton on Monday. Phil Troutwain's been kicking some pretty big butt on the recruiting trail recently when it comes to his tackles, man. He's getting guys who fit his profile of what he's looking for at the position. Bigger guys, longer guys. They might not be, you know, where they need to be in the Big Ten from a weight perspective right now. But that's kind of the beauty of it because it makes them more moldable. You get them in the weight room with Chuck Losey. And, you know, you mold their bodies the way that you feel they need to be molded to play on this Penn State offensive line. So you're seeing a class, a 2024 class come together now. I mean, it's climbed into the top five. So we're talking about a pretty intriguing group that Jane Franklin and his staff are assembling and more good news could be on the way later this week. Yeah. And, and more good news out of the state of Wisconsin, which is where Sexton's from Egan Boyer from North Carolina as this collection comes together. And let's begin with those couple of long framed offensive tackles that Penn state just added to Phil Troutwine bringing on board. Uh, we, we spoke a lot about Cooper cousins and the length that he brings to a potential interior role at the next level. He was the initial commitment of this 2024 class. He's got a lot of friends on board now, specifically in this offensive line room. We'll get into each of these guys individually, but how would you compare, contrast these pickups when you look at where Boyer is right now in his development versus where Sexton is right now and what they'll be bringing to campus in about a year? So just generally speaking with Sexton, I think he's probably the most unique recruit in this 2024 class. 
this time last year, he was still putting on weight and getting ready to play tackle for the first time after playing quarterback as a sophomore. He was weighing around 185, 190. So we're talking about a recruit who has put on a significant amount of weight in a short period of time to get ready to play on the offensive line, be a tackle, and adjust to what that playing that position entails. So I love his upside. I, I I mentioned him as one of the most unique recruits in the class. I also think he's one of the highest upside recruits in the class. I think there's a lot going there from an athletic profile standpoint. We're talking, like I said, someone who was formerly lighter and he has a basketball background. So it shows on his tape because you could see the athleticism in his kick steps and there's still ways to go from a technique perspective. That's really not much of a surprise considering he's new to the position. I love the upside with Garrett Sexton. I think Egan Boyer is a bit more refined at this point in his development. And that, again, that kind of just goes into experience at the position and the nuances of playing the offensive line. Boyer's been that guy. He's been at the position throughout his most of his career. So he's not new to playing tackle like Sexton is, but both of them have similar upsides. Both of them have similar measurables. Boyer's a little bit heavier. He's checking in around 260, 265 right now. He's talking about getting up to 315. He believes that's about what his body can handle to be an effective tackle for Penn State. He's another guy who's looking forward to getting to work in the weight room with Chuck Lozzi. So while they're different, they're also the same in a bunch of different ways. And it's it's on brand for Phil Troutwin and how he truly wants to recruit the position. Bigger guys who have big-time wingspans, a lot of length. And, you know, they're big, yeah, but they've got some pretty solid athleticism to their game as well. That's what Phil Troutwin is looking for, and that's what he gets in these two guys. You've got Cooper Cousins, who's in the top 150 in composite rankings, uh, six foot five at least, uh, 280, 290 plus pounds at this point in his career. Uh, and then these two additions where they don't have that weight yet, where they're in that 300 pound range or, or really even close to it. But in Garrett Sexton's case, I know some people may head on over to the 24 7 sports profile and see, whoa, 6'7, 245. That's not a lot of meat spread across those bones. But you've already been able to report this. I know Brian don't mention his story, but he's made progress just since the, the conclusion of his junior basketball season. Yeah, he wrapped up basketball season. He's added another 15, 20 pounds. So like Boyer, he's in that 260, 265 range. And that just speaks to a couple of things to me. It speaks to the work ethic. You know, as soon as basketball season ends, he's right in the weight room getting ready to for his senior year of football, he's added good weight. That's the important thing. You don't just want to add weight. You want to add good weight, and that's what Sexton's been doing. It just, I mean, when you talk about a guy like Sexton coming off the hardwood, you know, sometimes that adjustment from basketball to getting back into football shape, it, it's not necessarily easy, but it's been something that he's been able to do quite well from all accounts. So he's coming along nicely from a development standpoint. Boyer's going to keep adding weight as well. So those two, they're trending in the right direction. And, and and we had kind of a similar discussion with incoming tight end Andrew Rappelier when he was on the podcast back in early uh, early March discussing his transition from the basketball court to now trying to get ready to, to hit the ground running on a football practice field at the college level and what that requires. And, and it's good to see that, you know, the, the, he's a blooming prospect as Sexton, and he certainly no seems doubt. like a blooming body type right now. Just to reiterate what you said out there for the folks, he was playing quarterback at sub 200 pounds as a yeah. sophomore. 
he's going to be a Penn State offensive tackle commit when he hits the when he hits the field for preseason camp ahead of his senior season. So that is quite the journey in a pretty limited time frame. Um, and and when you think about his recruitment process here, I know that this is one where look, Penn State picks up Donovan Harbor last week, a top twenty four seven interior offensive lineman projected at the next level from a Wisconsin school. Now you've got Garrett Sexton from a Wisconsin school. And then you've got uh, a commitment coming up here on Friday at the running back position from a Wisconsin school. And, and in fact, uh, Catholic Memorial, the same uh, that produced Harbor. What's going on right now? Because the Badgers have a new coaching staff. And, and just based on some peaks at their message board over there within the 24-7 Sports Network, there seems to be con some confusion on the approach. And Penn State, I mean, it's quite clear, is taking advantage and seizing some momentum up there. It seemed like the new staff, Luke Fickle and his new staff, they weren't that involved with Donovan Harbor. I don't think they ever reissued an offer to him. He did have an offer from Wisconsin, and Wisconsin made his initial top seven back in, I believe it was December, he put out a top seven, and Wisconsin was in that. I don't think they were heavily involved with Harbor, and the same goes for Corey Smith, who's the, the top 24-7 running back, who's deciding on Friday. You know, you could debate – their involvement there as much as you'd like, but they didn't seem like priorities from the outside looking in. When it comes to Sexton, it, it, to be completely honest with you, it seems like they kind of just dropped the ball a little bit. If you read through the intel of that recruitment and just the way Wisconsin approached it, they wanted to see tangible gains from weight in the weight room from Sexton, but I'm not really sure – I understand that approach from the Wisconsin staff for the reasons we just outlined. I mean, he was playing quarterback at sub 200 as a sophomore. He needs time to grow into his frame, you know, and he's playing basketball too. So that kind of limits, you know, how much he could put on right away. The Wisconsin staff wanted to see more weight on him initially, and they didn't put an offer out for that reason, which is kind of head scratching me because the least you could do is offer the kid, given he's an in-state prospect you're interested in, and say, hey, look, here's this offer, but we need to see you at X weight for it to be a committable offer. And that's not what happened there. And Wisconsin wound up offering late, and I had people reach out to me who thought Wisconsin jumping in right before that tentative May 1st decision date that he had lined up. I had people tell me that they thought it might make things a little bit interesting down the stretch. But when it came down to it, and Sexton, he made it to Oklahoma right before he committed to Penn State as well, the Sooners were a big player there. I think when it came down to from a Wisconsin perspective, Sexton just developed relationships with other staffs while, while, while the Wisconsin staff was kind of kicking the tires on him. And I, that just led to him winding up at Penn State and deciding, look, this is the place for me. Wisconsin offers cool. That's great. But at the end of the day, I feel the most comfortable with the Penn State staff. I've had the longest tenured relationship with them compared to Wisconsin. So when it comes to their approach, I mean, look, some question marks I would have regarding Sexton for sure. But their loss is Penn State's gain in this regard, it seems. Yeah, a slow play from the home state squad, and, and you see other programs seize upon that. Penn State capitalizes, picks up the commitment. And so that's the number one player in the state of Wisconsin by 24-7 sports. Uh, assessment is Donovan Harbor, who's committed to this program. The number four player on that board uh, by 24-7 sports, a composite assessment, I should say, is Garrett Sexton, who, who just joined the class as well. Number three, Corey Smith, running back from the same program, Catholic Memorial, where Donovan Harbor resides, and he is committing on Friday, Tyler Calvaru. So before we jump into a little bit more about Boyer, does it seem like Penn State's going to go three for three here with 
the top four players in, in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I'm discluding the number two guy on that list, uh, Nathan Roy, but three for three with guys are targeting at the top of that list of Wisconsin prospects. Yeah, I, I think there's a pretty good chance. I think there's a pretty good chance he would have been committed at this right now if you know some people close to him during Blue White Weekend didn't tell him, hey, look, take a step back, decide, you know, make sure that this is the right decision for you. This is where you really want to be. I mean, Harbor was – he was high on Penn State – but I think Corey Smith being equally as high is kind of what drove him over the edge and got him to commit. So I would say the writing is pretty much on the wall with Smith heading into Friday. I don't really see a scenario where Penn State isn't his pick. You know, obviously it's recruiting and it's fluid and we'll be monitoring it leading up to Friday because things could always change in a pinch. But I don't foresee that happening with Smith. Penn State has positioned itself really well and they're in a good spot to close on this one. All right, we'll find out if this class gets a little bit bigger on Friday or even before then. But let's look at the newest addition now that we cover our ground in Wisconsin. We'll go down to North Carolina, and Egan Boyer climbs on board uh, on a Tuesday. You wondered you know, how much room is left in the end for this offensive line class, and all of a sudden, bam, the door gets ripped open again, and here comes another guy entering the equation. How did it get done at this time with Boyer, and what did Phil Troutwine uh, I guess I should say, what was Phil Troutwine's vision in being able to get this volume of offensive linemen to come on board together at this stage of the cycle? It, it seems like a rarity from my vantage point. It was kind of just right timing for everything Troutwine was trying to do. You know, Harbor getting to campus and being so high on Penn State with Smith being so high. That fell into place nicely for him. Sexton, you know, that was a pursuit that went on throughout the winter. And then with him, you know, deciding I want to wrap things up sooner rather than later. I want to get done before official visit season. That fell into place nicely for Penn State. And with Boyer, really, from what I've been hearing, you know, doing some asking around, it just seems like he was kind of just done with the process. And he, he knew where he wanted to be and he wanted to wrap things up, whether that was Penn State or another program. He was just he just had enough of the recruiting process and all the creationists that goes along with it. And Penn State wound up being his pick for a couple reasons. The relationship with Trout Wayne was a big one. Obviously, you know, he played a pretty big role throughout his recruitment. And he was it was made very clear to him what Trout Wayne was looking for and how Boyer fits into that. And he liked that pitch from the staff. The other big thing with Boyer is, and this goes beyond football, you know, he wants to be an engineer. And Penn State has a pretty big alumni base. And he, he's talked about, you know, the importance of – networking and he, he highlighted in his commitment article brian Dome, he highlighted the amount of donating alumni that penn state has so this was a decision that went far beyond the football field for boyer he had an, this was you know the old adage it's, a, it's not a four-year decision it's a 40-year decision he made the 40-year decision what he felt was the best call for him that wound up being penn state so a fit on and off the field that's what he felt and it goes back to what we talked about with boyer when he visited during the spring he kind of liked the fact that Penn State was in the middle of the no in middle of nowhere. It's what he's used to growing up. It gives him the chance to really just zone in, focus on ball. That's what he's gonna be doing in Happy Valley. We hear it every cycle from multiple prospects. It's a place you can come, concentrate on ball, and, and exit with a really good situation for yourself. Um, by the way, you mentioned Boyer being essentially done from what you gathered. I, I can understand it. He had a really busy spring, he eight did. different campuses he got to during March and April, uh, obviously got a chance to see Penn State in person. And he told Brian Doan that at, at 6'7", 260 pounds, he had some college staffs discussing him getting as heavy as 350 yes. pounds during his college career. It sounds like Penn State sees him somewhere more between that 310, 320-pound range uh, as they stockpile these long-limbed offensive linemen. And as you said before, uh, Phil Troutwine, 
Uh, he is getting it done at a very consistently at a very consistent level these last few cycles. Maybe not everybody is of the Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer uh, caliber where they're warranting these kind of top 100 or five star accolades. But I'm going to ask you this: with both Boyer and Sexton right now in that three star range, do you see the trajectory where these guys can make? forward moves in rankings i mean sexton to me seems like a guy like much like luke reynolds making the move to tight end for the first time in his career uh you circle and say let's see what it looks like as a senior because it may look a lot different than it was before Sexton is the one who stands out to me in that regard and it just really goes into the upside that we've been talking about with him i think as becomes more and more comfortable at tackle and is as his body appropriates to the position more and, you know, he gets to that 260 range, 265 range where he already is and gets on the field at that weight, I think you're going to see a different kind of player and a different kind of prospect. He's already so talented and you see it on the tape and you see it coming together for him, you know, pretty much every time he takes the field, I think he, he gets a little bit better. He gets a little bit more comfortable with what's being asked of him. He gets a little bit more comfortable with his responsibilities. So I pinpointed, I, someone asked me about this on the board, actually, if I thought he could get in the four-star range. I do think he can make it there with a good senior season. I think Boyer, I like where he's at in the rankings right now is a high three. And I know everyone wants the four-star prospects and all that, all that good stuff. But here, here's your little reminder that three-star prospects are pretty good prospects. They make it to the league all the time. So if that's where Boyer winds up staying, Penn State's getting a pretty good player. I do think there's a chance he can make it to four as well. But when it comes to who I think is more likely to hit that four-star range by the time early signing period rolls around, my money would be on Sexton. Well, you got to remember, Tyler, uh, everyone's a little spoiled after what Phil Troutwine and company <laughs> did in the 2023 yes. cycle. So they want those shiny stars. Uh, Jaden Williams, a five-star. Alex Birchmeyer, top 100. Chim Diono, top 24-7. And Anthony Donka, a four-star prospect. That is your foundation for the future from that 2023 class. And now we're seeing them try to follow that up here with another big bunch of offensive linemen in the 2024 cycle. I addressed this on the last time we, we had you on to talk offensive linemen. The 2020 cycle, or I'm sorry, the 2021 cycle, you end up coming away with just Lynn and Tengwall because you, you lose Nate Bruce along the way. And then in the 2022 class, of course, you've got Drew Shelton as a starting offensive uh, tackle down the stretch, and you've got Vega Ioane, who we're all very high on as an interior prospect, but you lose uh, Malik McNeil along the way. So only three scholarship offensive linemen from those two cycles combined we were expecting a big number here let's refresh everybody's memory sexton's on board donovan harbor's on board uh cooper cousins on board and uh egan boyer now on board and then remind everyone how brewer fits in here yeah you know, again i think we're just kind of gonna have to wait and see how his development comes along right now i would say the defensive line is more likely than the offensive line for him as an interior guy I think it's still possible he winds up on the offensive line, depending on how his development plays out and one, what Penn State sees out of him and how he develops when he makes it to campus. But I think D-line is more in his future than the O-line right now. And that leaves you, you got three tackles is the number in this class we've been talking about for a while. Kevin Haywood is still out there for the taking. And, you know, it looked like Penn State was in a pretty good spot to wrap things up when I had him on campus during blue-white game. And it got pretty close. He, he's another guy who I think the recruiting process is starting to wear on him a little bit. But, man, I keep saying it with Haywood. And I'll say it till he commits somewhere. It's a deliberate decision-making process from him and his family. 
he's leaving no stone unturned in his process as he makes these. I mean, you talk about Boyer having a busy spring. I mean, go look at Kevin Haywood's spring in the spring he had, man. I mean, he was making it everywhere to get all the information possible. So he's going to sit down coming out of this Rutgers visit that he has coming up this weekend. He's going to sit down, put together an official visit schedule. Will he make it to official visit season? We'll see. I think either way, I think this recruitment wraps up before his senior season. And I do like where Penn State is at. There's competition from the, the same similar suspects we've been talking about. There is recruitment, Tennessee's, the Michigan's, those guys, they're all involved. But I like where Penn State is at. And then when it comes to what's left on the interior, I think there's definitely a chance for another addition there. And that would push the number of total offensive linemen in the class to six, as we've been talking about in these last couple episodes. It seemed like it was going to be five originally, but... If you got to take six this cycle to get guys in there that you like, so be it. Because, and you touched on it just now, you know, there is a need to replenish. And you have two really quality interior guys right now in Cooper Cousins and Donovan Harbor. Who's that third guy? It looked like it was going to be William Satterwhite heading into Blue White weekend. He was on campus for a couple of days, but he's going to take things a little bit slower than some originally expected. He's going to go through his June official visit schedule. He told me that he's looking at a decision before his senior season. He has a spot in the class right now. We're going to have to see how that June official visit schedule plays out, and Penn State receives one, obviously. It's looking like it's in a pretty good spot to do so, but that's something that he's still figuring out. Kai Greer from North Carolina, he's another interior guy who's going to be making it to campus for an official in June. He's pretty excited about that trip. And, you know, there's one more spot. There's it, it's a competition right now on the interior. You know, you got to see who grabs that spot. Is it going to be Satterwhite? Is it going to be Greer? Is it going to be Pocky Fanu from California who has an official visit set in June as well? You know, I wrote this yesterday. I don't sleep on where Penn State is at on his list and where he's at on Penn State's board. Penn State, all the three guys I just mentioned, Satterwhite, Fanu, and Greer, Penn State would welcome them into the class as their third interior offensive line addition. So it's looking more and more like it is indeed going to hit that number of six total offensive linemen in this class. Well, this is a group that all of a sudden is up to a dozen players on board, as we talked about by the time this week ends. It could be at least 13. And and, and how quickly has this thing grown? Uh, they did not pick up their third commitment for this cycle until late February. So a lot of work being accomplished during the spring. And now as they prepare, uh, kind of crossing that bridge of May into official visit territory in June, this is class that's really coming together. Before we bring in Daniel Gallon and talk about the incoming members of this 2023 Penn State roster, let's finish with some 2024 recruiting talk at quarterback. Michael Van Buren, the, the winds are shifting in the crystal ball, pointing toward the Oregon Ducks now. Penn State was the popular choice not too long ago. Break us or talk us through why that is now the case and where you see Penn State's 2024 quarterback board developing in the late stages of April. So Van Buren's going to be at Oregon for its spring game this week, and it's going to be his second visit of the month. And he's trending towards winding up in Eugene at this point. You know, I, I think Penn State really did a lot of the right things with Van Buren. And at this point, in his recruitment, he's just favoring playing at Oregon. You know, for a really long time, it looked like Penn State was the school to beat. Oregon has made a pretty big push as of late. And as things stand right now, I would anticipate him being that he, I anticipate him being the guy for Oregon this cycle. And where does that leave Penn state moving forward? I think it leads you to a quarterback board reset. Ethan Grunkmar from Ohio. He picks up an offer from the staff after Mike Harris just makes it out to Ohio last Thursday morning to watch him throw. He'll be at the lead 11 regional and state college in May. He told me he's looking to get on campus for a visit before that. 
So that's a name we're going to be keeping a really close eye on, man. Uh, I'm just telling you right now, when as we keep talking about quarterback recruiting in this class, Ethan Gronkmeyer is going to be a guy we keep coming back to, especially after Yurchis makes it out to Ohio to watch him throw, likes what he sees, and now you have him coming to State College for the Elite 11. You're going to get him on campus while he's in town. We've talked about the addition for two quarterbacks in this class and the potential for that to happen. I think Gronkmeyer, if they do go the route, there's a good chance he can wind up as one of the two. You know, it's still early. The offer is still fresh. He's had longer-standing relationships with other programs such as Minnesota. They've prioritized him a lot. But this is one of Gronkmeyer's top offers right now. He's really high on the Nittany Lions. And the staff clearly likes him enough to offer. You know, that offer's not going out if they don't see something in him at this point in the cycle. So that's going to be one I'm keeping a really close eye on moving forward. Like where the Nittany Lions are trending there right now, we're just going to have to see what comes about over the next month. And also we're going to have to see who else pops up onto the board. You know, Trevor Jackson from Florida, he was an Elite 11 regional standout down there. He's heard from Penn State. Miles O'Neill is a name that, you know, we've tossed around a little bit from time to time. He's got a budding group of five and power five interest, Penn State, you know, they've done some evaluating there. So there are names that are under evaluation and, you know, there are going to be new names that we're discussing a month from now that we're probably not, you know, not really on our radar. Look at Jackson Smolik last cycle when he popped up late. So, but Grunkmeyer is the name to know moving forward and we'll be keeping close on how that board comes together because there's going to be a lot of, a lot of evaluating, a lot of film watching, a lot of Mike Eric just getting out to watch guys throw. Penn State currently carries three scholarship quarterbacks on the 2023 roster, including Jackson Smolik, who you just referenced, the guy that none of us were talking about uh, this time last year, ends up as the, the 2023 QB signee um, on board with redshirt freshman Bo Pavula and, of course, sophomore Drew Aller. Um, one name that you did not mention there and one name that you had all, uh, often mentioned in the quarterback conversation, and, and you left him out for good reason this time, Luke Kromenhoek. Uh, it got pretty noisy in his recruitment in a hurry following that latest Penn State visit to campus uh, during spring practice, he ultimately went public and shut things down uh, just about, I think, within the last 10 days. I don't think we got to that in the podcast, but I uh, wanted to put that out there as well. It's, it's, that that bridge is now burned down, we can we can assume? Uh, I mean, yeah. He, <laughs> ah, he, I like he, it. He, he shut down. I mean, well, we'll see. It wouldn't surprise me if Penn State at least continues to make some sort of effort, but yeah. he's, pretty shut, he's pretty shut down. I don't think he's really going to budge off that. And likewise, Florida State, I don't think they're going to really entertain many more trips to State College for Comanoak moving forward. So I, I think, um, you know, there might be some some work put in behind the scenes as the cycle goes on because he is the QB1. He's Mike Gertz's top guy at the position. We've touched on that plenty. He loves his game, and it's pretty easy to see why. You go throw on his tape. I mean, there's clips of him from social media this week, him throwing the ball 70 yards tight spiral. It's like, it's very easy to see why he's a top quarterback prospect in the 2024 class. But I think this ship has sailed. I think he's pretty locked in with the Knowles at this point. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's shift gears now and, and focus on the 2023 roster additions. And to do that, we bring in Daniel Gallen, our colleague at Lions247.com. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing great, Tyler. It's uh, good to see you guys on a, on a nice Tuesday afternoon. It's been an eventful Tuesday, an eventful week so far. We're just breaking down the, the two commitments Penn State picked up, what they've got brewing in 2024. But it's almost time for us to get a, a long look at the 2023 recruiting class, which is now going to be the freshman class, because we got a good feel for them, I, I think, with, with spring ball. But there are a bunch more coming. And we can remind the viewers out there that guys like Abdul Carter, Hunter Norzad, Chop Robinson were not part of spring practices in 2022. They were a huge part of, of what took place as the season went on. And let's begin with the transfer portal, because I think when you look at immediate impact, you, you obviously are going to look at guys who had that experience. And uh, at the wide receiver position, the big caveat that we keep mentioning and throwing into every conversation is it's you got Dante Sivas coming in. Let's start with that, because there's a freshman, and I want to send that to, to Tyler Calvaruzzo in a second, but Cephas coming aboard – really a guy that, that is being penciled in as a starter by some folks, but the Omari Evans of the world who've been here with the new receivers coach, they're not going to give up that role very easily. And Cephas, we're going to have to see what it looks like for him on a power five practice field going up against working against Mac uh, defensive backs to working up against the big Ten's best secondary on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, when Cephas coming in at this point of the year, you, you definitely have a, a learning curve, especially with that leap up in competition at the same time though this isn't an 18 year old uh making that jump you know from high school to college uh this is you know a guy with a lot of experience a lot of production um someone who's shown that he can play uh against some big time competition um when when Kent State would have some non-conference games so I think that Cephas is a really interesting dynamic um, when you talk about adding him to that wide receiver room, especially with what James Franklin said uh, at the end of uh, spring practice in terms of positions that Penn State is going to have an eye on uh, in the transfer portal. But, you know, I think that, you know, Tyler C can probably speak a little bit more to this with Carmelo Taylor coming in. You know, that's the only wide receiver in this freshman class. Um, he's someone that we've heard some really good things about. But as we just saw last year, it can be hard for a true freshman to come in see a bunch of time, uh, be able to make an early impact. So, you know, I think, you know, you add in Cephas, uh, you know, Penn State is looking towards the portal. But, you know, what we saw in the spring game might be what you mostly see uh, this fall, which I think is a pretty interesting place to be in. Yeah, I, I want to get over to, to the freshman uh, impact player potentially in, in Carmelo Taylor. It's going to be a hard road for him to climb, though, I think. We saw how difficult Tyler was last year for, for those freshmen to, to break through on the field. Omari Evans was able to do it, but he played every game, still caught only five passes. And now year two looks like it's going to be a real launch point for him. But everybody else in that 2022 class is kind of coming up for air after the season and trying to figure out where they stand and, and battling for positions. What's your take on what Carmelo Taylor can accomplish in his first year on campus, realistically? Yeah, truthfully, I'm not really anticipating a whole lot, and that's not a knock on Taylor from a talent perspective. I mean, you can't teach the kind of speed that kid has. He's a burner, man, and that adds a lot of value 
to Penn State's wide receiver room. My reasoning for it is more so on the development side. You know, Taylor's a guy we've touched on. He, he does have to get in the weight room a little bit. He needs to add some weight and bulk up a bit. I think that's something that he needs to take care of before he can really make a substantial impact on Penn State's offense. And then from, you know, just an overall development as a wide receiver, you got to keep in mind, we, I've said that he's gotten better and better as a true receiver, you know, throughout his senior year and just throughout his development in the offseason moving forward. I think he's heading in the right direction. But this is still a track guy who's developing into a full-fledged wide receiver. You know, there's more to Mel Taylor's game than just speed now, but he's still coming along and he's still getting to a point where I think the Penn State staff is going to be comfortable running him out there for meaningful snaps. So I'm not anticipating a whole lot from him in 2023. I think he's a guy who winds up redshirting, but look, that kind of speed, you know, you get to campus, maybe he gets to campus with a different kind of upper body as well. You know, the offseason could work wonders for some guys. If he gets to campus, you know, bulked up a little bit, and then he gets in the weight room with Chuck Losey and he keeps heading in the right direction there. Who knows what could happen? But as things stand right now, I'm anticipating not a whole lot from Taylor right off the bat, but I think you could see a lot from him down the road for sure. And this is a guy who, you know, this time last year was this intriguing track star, you know, late riser in the cycle, and by the time his senior year comes to an end and he puts pen to paper with Penn State, he's a top 24-7 prospect. And by the way, uh, track time last year, 10-5-9 last april in in the 100 meter this guy is serious and, and we've mentioned this in the past from a personality standpoint and a, a just the playing style of what i think he can bring to an offense KJ. a lot of kj handler vibes uh from carmelo taylor and, and we'll see if that comes to fruition here for penn state football uh, another transfer to get to and, and he's a guy that we've addressed here of late on the podcast trey potts coming in after four seasons with the minnesota golden gophers he's got two years of eligibility or one year of eligibility left he did not use a medical hardship at this point on the 2021 season when he was thrust into the starting role for a bit and then was injured himself and missed the remainder of the season. Last year, he played second fiddle to Mo Ibrahim, who was one of the most productive running backs across the country. Now we're looking at a situation where he's a third stringer. But as we said, Daniel, this running back room has been tested repeatedly in from terms of depth since J1 Sider got here. He's had to evolve game by game at different points of his career with Penn State. And right now, this is a really nice insurance application to the to the uh, depth chart. And Potts is a guy who can do more than just take a carry for you. He talked about his abilities as a pass catcher, something that wasn't really reflected uh, during his time in Minneapolis, but he thinks could be at Penn State, maybe as a special team threat. And most importantly, probably when you just think about how the running back room would look otherwise, accountability as a pass blocker and as a guy who's going to be in that game script. Yeah, after Potts announced his commitment, I think in a post on the board, I called it badly needed. Uh, just when you look at you know how that running back position uh, you know tends to go um, over over the course of a season, over the course of even multiple seasons. Uh, you know, in terms of talking about the transfer portal, um, I was doing a post this morning about Devin Ford, uh, and you know, looking at how he got to where he is now, being in the portal, and you look at you know, each year how things shook out and the guys that he was in a room with at various points who didn't finish their careers at Penn State, you know, going all the way back to Ricky Slade and then as recently as Keziah Holmes, Kevon Lee, um, you know, and then you have Noah Kane uh, in there and then Journey Brown who had to medically retire. You know, so even in that, you know, four, four plus year span, you've seen how these rooms can just be so dynamic 
um, you know, can really change so quickly. I think we talked about it down the stretch last year. Uh, you know, even when Nick Singleton and Katron Allen were playing really well, you just had it in the back of your mind. You know, what happens, um, you know, if disaster strikes, what happens if you hit the worst case scenario with those? Because, you know, playing the odds of what in terms of talking about running backs, you know, I think that as a fan and just as a person, you don't want to see anyone get hurt, but you just kind of have to acknowledge the realities of that position. So you need to be prepared for anything. Uh, and I think that Penn State really did need a number three running back so that, you know, London Montgomery and Cam Wallace didn't get thrust into a situation that they weren't ready for. And you needed to add someone, you know, who, no offense to Tank Smith, Tyler Holsworth, Emil Davis, you know, you needed to add someone who could keep that level you know, close to, you know, what you're getting from a division one starter. So, you know, I think that, you know, right now looking through the transfer portal, the guys that Penn state added in terms of someone fitting a role perfectly and kind of knowing what you're bringing them in for. And, you know, you know, at this time next year, looking back at what they've done, I think that Trey Potts is going to be one of those perfect fit um, portal guys, even if he's not necessarily the most high profile or, you know, he's not, might not rush for like, you know, 800 yards and eight touchdowns or something like that. You mentioned Devin Ford there. He did hit the portal on Monday. He stayed uh, here on campus uh, working on academic uh, focuses uh, after leaving the football program through four games last season because he left through four games uh, and ahead of that Northwestern matchup on October 1st. That means that means he can apply a red shirt to last year. And with the COVID year of eligibility, he could move forward with two years of eligibility. Devin Ford, uh, three seasons plus four games with this program. A guy who was a top 100 overall prospect coming out of the state of Virginia in the 2019 class, came to campus. He is the only running back since 1979 to go for 100 plus rushing yards in the season opener as a freshman happened uh, a long time ago. It feels like in 2019, but him and Noah Kane were the talk of the town as those ascending two running backs uh, for a while there. And obviously careers past changed. The running back room changes. And as Daniel said, uh, it is an evolving room every year. Jaywan Slater knows full well what can happen in a hurry. A lot of us thought that in 2020 Penn state had the best running back room in the big 10, if not the entire country, by the end of the first quarter of the first game journey, Brown was medically retired and Noah Kane was done for the season. You had Devin Ford and these two wide-eyed freshmen in Keziah Holmes and Kevon Lee who had to take on a lot more work than any of us thought would happen. Now, no one wants to see that happen to two more wide-eyed freshmen, but let's address them right now, Tyler Calvariso, because they come in from, from really interesting backgrounds here. London Montgomery is a player out of Scranton Prep here in Pennsylvania that on signing day, James Franklin said their staff felt was a steal because he didn't get to play as a senior – didn't get to kind of generate that kind of, uh, you know, maybe late hype in his recruitment. Not that he would have strayed away from a Penn State commitment, but they felt like he was potentially going to go for 3,000 rushing yards as a senior. Not in his career, but as a senior. And then Cam Wallace, you know, kind of profiles as a both sides of the ball, power five prospect with some serious speed. Feels like it's going to take some time to round out at the running back position. So what do you make of this tandem that comes in? And, and I'll say it again. The Trey Potts edition alleviates a lot of the pressure and concern that we otherwise would have placed on this pair. Yeah, adding Potts to this running back room, it changes the whole dynamic for London Montgomery and Cameron Wallace. It takes a lot off their plate, a lot of pressure off their shoulders. Just starting with Montgomery, yeah, they didn't just think that uh, he could run for 3,000 yards as a senior. I mean, when he tested for the staff and ran for the staff leading up to the summer before he suffered the unfortunate torn ACL – 
I mean, they were comparing his testing numbers to what Miles Sanders was putting up coming out of high school. So they've loved London Montgomery for a really long time, and they're still really excited about his upside. They've been encouraged by his recovery from his torn ACL and that he's been around the program. So they know everything that's going on with him. They feel good about him, but it's they're very happy that there's not going to be any sort of pressure on him to contribute right off the bat. They really want to make sure when he gets back onto the field and goes through full throttle, he's 100% not rushed in any way, shape, or form. So you get pots, that alleviates any of that concern. So that's important. And then with Cam Wallace, I love Cam Wallace. Cam Wallace is, uh, I think he's the kind of player in the Big Ten who could give defenses headaches on any given weekend because his speed, his cutting ability, his acceleration. He's a smaller guy, so he's more of a scat back than he is a power rusher. There's not a whole lot of power, if any, to his game, but he's just so dynamic and tough to bring down in the open field. And another guy who's probably not ready to contribute from day one, another one who needs to get into a weight room, add some good weight, and get his nose into the playbook as a summer arrival, but there's not going to be any pressure on him as well. So it's a good thing. You know, maybe you see him factor into the return game at some point. Probably not as a freshman, but there's a lot of ways Penn State can use Wallace as his development and his career progresses. And I think you're going to see him become one of those players that Mike Gertrude, Jay Wansider, they want to get him on the field pretty much any way they can, as often as they can. I think that the groundwork for that gets laid upon arrival this summer. But those two... Not a whole lot of expectations immediately, and that's rightfully so. I think it'd be unfair to expect both of those guys to come in and be ready just like that, given their circumstances, especially with Montgomery coming off the injury. You know, torn ACLs may not be what they're used to be in terms of rehab and recovery, but it's still a significant knee injury, and Penn State wants him back to his Scranton prep form before he gets back into action. So, Potts, impact addition. These two behind him, definitely potential impact players as well, just not right away. J1 Sider has been the running backs coach at Penn State for five seasons. He has never applied a red shirt to a running back who was a freshman. I think that changes this year. Maybe it happens twice this year, but uh, it's not a year to take off for these guys because coming up right behind them, that 2024 class yeah. is a, a star and, and Quentin Martin that this staff absolutely loves. Number one player in Pennsylvania. We talked about Corey Smith maybe coming on board as the second running back, another top 24-7 prospect in his own right. So the competition never ends. They're not going to stray away from taking a look at the transfer portal. So even if we don't see Wallace or Montgomery in legitimate game action here in 2023, a lot to be gained or potentially lost by the way they embrace this opportunity here uh, once they get to campus. And uh, look, clearly we're not anticipating a lot of freshmen to show up and make big fireworks on the offensive side of the football. But one guy that I think – we all three feel like has the ability and, and potentially the physicality to get it done in year one is Andrew Rappelier at tight end. And it may sound crazy at this point because you've already got the, what, five uh, uh, five tight ends on campus who are of the scholarship caliber. You've got the two uh, penciled in, uh, penned in up top, I should say, with Theo Johnson and with Tyler Warren. Both of them dinged up, not available for, for spring ball, but Khalil Dinkins, Jerry Cross, and then two freshmen. So I did undersell six scholarship guys on board. And yet I'm going to say it, Daniel, and, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm crazy here. I think Andrew Rapier may have the goods to push his way through where come mid-October, he could be a factor at the tight end position. That third job is up for grabs still. Khalil Dinkins got a hammer at home. And I think that, that this is a room that they're not going to shy away from implementing younger talent as we've seen year in, year out. 
Definitely. I think you look at Rapelier's, you know, physique, you know, what he can do physically. You know, we saw him uh, last summer catching passes from Jackson Smolik um, in a, you know, in the camp setting and, and he really looked the part. And then you combine that with what he was able to do in his uh, senior year up in Massachusetts, you know, looking at that tape, looking at the numbers. And yeah, I think that he's a, he's one of those players where it's just really easy, I think, to, to fall in love with them and, and what their potential is. Um, it is interesting when you look at the room uh, and how it's constructed and, you know, what the pathway might be for, uh, you know, for him to move up and potentially get into the role. I think that, you know, Khalil Dinkins and Jerry Cross had a really good opportunity uh, this spring uh, with Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren being sidelined, where they were able to get a ton of reps uh, and really, really use that uh, to, you know, build build their cases. Um, you know, we know that Mike Yersich likes to play three tight ends uh, if he has them. We saw that last year uh, and the year before. Uh, so I, I'm really curious to see what this looks like for, for Rapelier trying to move up and get onto the field. I think that he has the skills to do it. Um, yeah, I think that there's you know, a good chance that he can you know, compete for the, the fifth spot or you know, potentially the fourth spot uh, in this pecking order. You know, how much action that actually means on the field this fall, uh, it's going to be really interesting. But I think that he's someone that we'll see get some glimpses, get some looks uh, in the non-conference slate uh, and potentially at the end of blowouts if Penn State can take care of business at some different points in the schedule. But I think he's someone that has a really high upside. I think that he is kind of next when you talk about continuing the the tradition that Penn State is trying to to start and maintain at tight end. And he was on his podcast at the start of March, and and he has really wrapped his arms around the the Pat Fryermuth comparisons. He's a guy from the New England area as well. Um, and and one thing he really said he prided himself on was his ability to be a complete tight end right now when he gets to campus. And something that James Franklin told us during spring ball is you look at some of the the tight end additions they have, and it's guys who are going from being high school wide receivers to having to block all Big Ten defense, defensive players on the practice field. And it's a huge transition, and it's a world of hurt at times. We'll see if Andrew Rapelier can back it up, but he is now well beyond 240 pounds, pushing his way toward 250 pounds at six foot five. He told us he ran a sub 4.6, and actually in the low 4.5s at 221 pounds. He feels like he hasn't had to compromise his speed, uh, adding 20 pounds along the way since then. But – He's a guy that can be fascinating. Rap, uh, Pat Frymuth didn't get to campus until the summer before his freshman season. He encountered a much different room where the starting job was very much up for grabs, but he was the guy. By the time we got through September, you knew Pat Frymuth was a starter. I'm curious if we know at least that Andrew Rapelier is a factor, is a contributor, is going to maybe be pushing to burn his uh, red shirt. And, and in that room, that might sound crazy, but maybe he's there by the end of that 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 that's first September on campus. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot to put on the young tight end, but I know he he said a lot of those kind of things here on the podcast, and the staff thinks very highly of him. Uh, we'll see what he can accomplish come June, July, and then into pads uh, come August. Uh, sticking on the offensive side of the football, there's one more offensive lineman to get to. Tyler, you did a great job breaking down the future outlook for, for Phil Troutwine's room, and, and part of that is going to be Chim Ono, a major riser in 24-7 sports rankings. He was committed to Old Dominion for a period of time, 
the Power Five programs came calling, including Penn State. He ultimately picks them. We had his uh, his high school coach on this podcast a few months ago following that decision. A lot of intel on a late riser, and they're really excited to bring this top 24-7 prospect on board. Feels like one of those where you, yeah, you, you kind of just plug him onto the practice field and you forget about him if you're a fan until 2024, and then you, you, you check back in and say, how much has he grown and how much has he developed? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a developmental year for Ono. And I'd say that's a good thing because as a late riser – in his class, the big selling point with him for programs like Penn State, the Ole Miss, the Michigan State, the, the schools that he got out to check out for official visits, Rutgers was among them. His upside was just really off the charts. And I don't think any of those programs have really anticipated that, oh, this could be a plug-and-play guy as a true freshman. No, this was more of a project. Not necessarily a project because Ono's not – he's come along nicely. He's not as raw as he used to be as he was early in his career, that that contributed to his status as a late riser for sure and getting him from an, being an old Dominion commit to a Penn State commit. But the athletic profiles there is another guy who throws a shot put on the tracks. I think mean, Javen Williams will have something to talk about when, they met, when they're when they on campus together. But, you know, 2024, I, it, it's, you make a really good point because I think 20, by the time 2024 season rolls around, I just feel like the trajectory that Ono's on – you could seriously be talking about him as a potential contributor at tackle. I, I think he does have that kind of upside, and he's been developing at such a rapid rate. You get him with Phil Trotwin, and you get him in the system for a whole year. By the time 2024 gets here, he, he could be ready to roll. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. He's a big piece of what Penn State is building in the, with these future offensive line classes. Williams and, Bur and Alex Birchmeyer get a lot of the headlines, but oh, no, they're just as excited about him as anyone else. And Williams and Birchmeyer were getting reps at tackle for, for a lot. The, a lot of the spring we saw Jamie Williams on the left side, Birchmeyer on the right side. We know Birchmeyer also repping at guard. And you wonder if, if that's where his home is long-term on the interior, which is where he was evaluated as the top interior offensive lineman of the 2022 cycle or 2023 cycle by 24-7 sports. Uh, and when you look at Chim Diono and, and what he may play a role at tackle next year, not necessarily as a starter, but – Olu Fashanu, I, I don't think he's going to shock the, the NFL world again and stay for a redshirt senior year. And then Caden Wallace, this is a wrap on his career this year. He, he's, he's a year five guy with the program. So you've got um, you've got Drew Shelton in year two. We've, we've seen him get some work at tackle. And then you've got you know, a lot of these prospects. And, and you're going to add another one with Ono. And maybe that's an area where we look toward the transfer portal, You know, looking ahead toward 2024. But a really nice situation where you have the ability to add a top 24-7 tackle and not say – Oh my gosh! How soon we can, can we rush him to the field because he's ta more talented than everybody else, and we got to find a way to make it work fundamentally? You can say, "Hey, let's take some time here. Let's work on the practice field. We've got probably the top offensive tackle in the upcoming draft. We've got two others who've played Big Ten football for us. We've got freshmen coming along uh, that have been on campus since January. So I think Ono oh encounters a really enviable situation as a young tackle. Uh, switching over to the other side of the trenches, Penn State's going to pick up a few additions on the defensive line. They're going to join uh, 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 Deion Barnes in that room. And what stands out to you about this group, uh, Tyler Calvaruso? Because you've got a couple guys coming off the edge uh, who were added uh, fairly late in the game uh, in Joseph Mupoye and Mason Robinson. You've got another uh, who's been around for a while with this class and Jameel Lyons, someone we've talked about maybe having that multi-position versatility as he grows up. And then a, a player that the coaching staff has been very quick to point to and say, maybe that ranking there doesn't quite reflect how we feel about him. Tyreek Blanding out of New York, who's, who's slotted as a defensive tackle. What do you make of that foursome and, and maybe how they factor in this fall, if at all? You know, I've, 
talked about Lions a lot as a guy who I think might have the highest upside of any of the defensive linemen who are ready to join this program out of the 2023 class. I mean, he's already at 250. He's already got a Big Ten body. He's got that mean streak to his game. I think he could easily grow into an interior frame, but he's also one of those guys you could use, you know, as a mismatch on the edge, as a bigger defensive end in certain packages. I think that could be something in his future as well because he does have the, that athleticism has stuck with him as he has continued to add weight and add muscle throughout his career at Roman Catholic. So I would anticipate that it sticks with him as he continues to add weight at Penn State as well. That positions him for a little bit of versatility on the defensive line for Deion Barnes. So I think that's going to be something that adds value for him and could get him on the field maybe sooner than other, you know, young defensive linemen on the roster. Mupoy is more of a developmental guy, I would say. You know, Penn State likes the raw skill sets there, but they want to get to work with him. Mason Robinson is more refined. You know, that was a high-quality late-cycle ad after he spent such a long time committed to Northwestern. They were excited about that get. You know, another guy who does need to definitely come along in other aspects of his game, but he's a little bit more refined than Mupoye. I think that'll help his cause early in his career with the Nittany Lions. And then with Tyreek Blanding, you know, that was a John Scott Jr. guy. John Scott Jr. liked him a lot, and obviously Scott Jr. is now off to the NFL. But Deion Barnes played plenty of a role there as well, and, you know, they wouldn't have pushed for him as hard as they did if both Scott and Barnes weren't on board with him because they talked about him a lot. They did have a lot a lot of evaluating as a duo there. They really loved what they saw out of Blanding with his tape out of uh, Christ the King in New York. So Blanding, he has a really good first step. You know, he doesn't have the longest arms as a defensive lineman. That, that's something that, you know, might work against him to some extent. But I think that as he develops, he has such a good first step and he has he has a pretty high football IQ for an interior, a young interior lineman, his hand placement is usually pretty good when trying to shed blocks. So he does have traits that can, you know, wipe out any ill effects of the lack of length, if that makes sense. I think that he projects as a player who can make an impact as an upperclassman. I think he's going to need a year or two to trying to, you know, kind of try and find himself on the interior. But I like these additions, and I think they're all project as solid contributors at some point in their career in state college. I mean, we've talked about it on the show a bunch. They look like they can roll six deep at defensive end potentially this year. They have depth, although they may not have a lot of starting experience across the board at defensive tackle, but you can work your way down through a group of names before I think you'd find Tyreek Blanding, at least as we project him here in 2023. Uh, And and, and again, those defensive ends, they're, they're really, at least on the surface, barring something catastrophic, really should be no need to, for them to be doing much more than trying to bother Drew Aller on the practice field, trying to get those reps with scout team and really craft craft what they've got at the position. By the way, Mason Robinson, the latest addition from the McDonough School, he's going to have some former teammates uh, and former guys from that pipeline and Curtis Jacobs and Devon Ely's and, of course, P.J. Mustafer uh, from that program in the past. And he's the latest to, to join them here on campus. Daniel, can they roll six deep at safety? I mean, that, that's the question we posed, uh, I think, last week because we know that they – like four guys at least, and maybe that that number is growing with 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 what some of the guys who were on campus have done during spring ball. But man, Zakari Nelson, King Mac, top twenty four seven talents, very different prospects in their own right. And I want to get some feedback on that from from Tyler in just a second. But Daniel, this safety group gets deeper and deeper year by year, and it's about to happen again. Yeah, and I think the players inside the room are excited about what they're going to add to. I was talking to KJ Winston after the blue white game about, you know, the guys that they had there this spring. And he says, well, we've got two more coming in. 
uh, later this year uh, talking about King Mac and Dakari Nelson. So, you know, I think that that is a really interesting room. Uh, I think I talked about it with you and Mark on a previous podcast where I think that, you know, that's the position group where your mind can really start to go uh, with, you know, the different combinations, the different roles, how they can use guys differently, how they can get them on the field, how they can maximize what they have in that room. Especially when you get down to guys like Tyrese Mills uh, and Makai Flowers, um, you know, who, you know, we didn't see on the field much or if, if at all last year, uh, guys that, you know, for, for different reasons had to make different kinds of adjustments uh, to the college game. So, you know, I think that the safety room, we know that, uh, you know, James Franklin, Manny Diaz, <clears throat> excuse me, Anthony Poindexter and Terry Smith like flexibility uh, on the back end and that they're willing to move guys around depending if they're better at corner, better at safety at different stages in their career. But I think from where we stand right now uh, and what this room is going to look like come August, I think that there's the potential to have some really, really good talent there and to really have some opportunities to be flexible, use some unique personnel combinations and really maximize what you have with that group. We're going to see four safeties go three, 350 plus defensive snaps over the course of, of this 2023 season. The question is if, if a fifth guy can, can jump up and grab himself 150 to 200 snaps. Uh, I don't know if you're going to have a, a rep hog like Jair Brown last season who led all defenders with almost 700 snaps. So maybe there'll be some more opportunities there, but there, there's a lot to d- dig down to. And when they look toward these freshmen, what are they adding to the practice field here, Tyler Calvaruso? Because two very different prospect profiles. King Mac and a burner out of South Florida powerhouse. And then Dakari Nelson, one of the more versatile defenders that I think we saw in this cycle, especially in Penn State's radar. And a guy that Steve Wolfong on our podcast called perhaps the more un- the most underrated pickup in this recruiting cycle in the Big Ten. Yeah, they're uh, polar opposites, I would say. Mac is the more of the rangy center fielder type. And Nelson is the big physical safety. You could drop down around the line of scrimmage, you know, let him make plays against the run but also a guy who has proven time and time again that he can cover over the top and he can cover in the slot as well. So there's a lot of versatility to his game. I think there's also a lot of versatility to King Max game as well, but in a different way. Cause I think, you know, while he could be that rangy center fielder safety type where you run out there in a one high look, he could also be a nickel corner for you, you know, in certain, you know, if needed, he could play on the outside. That's something that he was asked to do from time to time at St. Thomas Aquinas, albeit not often, you know, he was used more in the aforementioned way, but it's something that he has done before. So there's a lot of versatility for both of these guys. I agree with Steve Wilfong on Nelson. I, I think there is a lot of untapped potential there and just the number of ways that Manny Diaz could use to car Nelson and just really unlock the full extent of his talent. It's one of those things as a defensive coordinator, it gets you excited. It's one of those things you wake up for in the morning. How can I make the most of Dakari Nelson's potential? And he's got a lot of it. So those two really high-quality additions to the secondary coming in. And when we look back at this secondary hall in the 2023 class, I, I think it's got the chance to be a special one. We already see Elliott Washington making waves as an early enrollee and He's one of those young guys who's climbing up the depth chart and is going to have a real chance to, you know, maybe burn his red shirt as a true freshman and contribute in that cornerback rotation. I think that's in the cards for him. And then Zion Tracy wasn't really all that much of a factor in the spring due to injury, but he's working his way back. And, you know, another guy who has elite level speed 
and he's got the coverage skills to go along with it. So you put him on the outside, you know, this is, it's a high upside cornerback and safety group that Penn State has coming in. And I'm excited to see what these guys get to accomplish when they make it to Penn State, specifically the safeties with Mac and Nelson. They're two of, uh, they're two of my favorite prospects in this class. Mac especially, man. I, I just love his speed and what he can bring in a cover guy over the top. And Lamont Payne was the other freshman cornerback. He's a guy that, that the staff viewed as a safety or a cornerback. And he's stuck at cornerback for spring ball. We'll see if he sticks there long term. Uh, but with some of the younger names on board. And, and, and that depth chart at cornerback has changed a little bit as on Friday – uh, Storm Duck uh, hitting the transfer portal. Not something that we anticipated. Expected him to be vying for a starting job for the Nittany Lions, playing a bunch of reps regardless for the Nittany Lions after making his move in from North Carolina. But uh, he is going to explore his options yet again coming out of, of, of spring ball. And I think Penn State's going to explore their options yet again at cornerback in the transfer portal based on the conversations we've had. And I do want to finish with some transfer portal talk, but I don't want to leave out the one guy we didn't get to, and that's Kavion Keys. So much conversation this spring about a freshman linebacker from this 2023 class in Tony Rojas. Tamir Robinson also got a lot of work during spring ball at middle linebacker. And now here enters KV on keys. And I remember where the dialogue was going into last summer. They fought so hard for this one for several months, Tyler Calvaruzzo with keys. What did they love about keys? And how do you think he adds to this linebacker group that, on the surface, doesn't need like it needs more of a freshman influx of game ready talent, but maybe KB on Keys gives them some of that. I think they loved a lot of the same things that they loved about Tony Rojas in terms of athleticism and coverage ability and lateral quickness and ability to make plays from sideline to sideline and versatility as well as a guy who can play multiple different linebacker positions for you. Because KB on Keys was lining up all over the field for his Verena high team in Virginia. He was doing a lot of different things in that defense. So I think a lot of the same things Penn State loved about Tony Ross, they loved just as much about KV on keys. And I, maybe now they're hoping that he could add, you know, 30 pounds of muscle like Tony Ross has when he makes it to campus. Cause keys is a guy who does need to get in the weight room, you know, weight wise. That was kind of something that we touched on throughout the cycle with him. He was sitting around 190, 200. So yeah, he does need to bulk up. That's for sure. But that shouldn't be too difficult for him given his frame. You know, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of room for growth there. And I think that like Rojas, he's going to be able to maintain a lot of the traits that make him such an intriguing prospect in terms of athleticism, the lateral quickness and ability to make, you know, short movements in the open field when it comes to coverage. I think he's going to maintain all of that as he does continue to bulk up. So while a lot of the buzz surrounding this, this spring has been, you know, with Rojas and rightfully so as an early enrollee and the strides that he's been able to made, make, I think uh, come the summer, you could be having a lot of these same conversations about KV on keys, man. I, I, I like his game. There's a lot to uh, a lot for many DS to work with there as well. And I, while he might not be a day one contributor in a very crowded Penn State linebacker room, I think, you know, coming in as a later guy, he's going to be behind Rojas in that regard. But they play different positions and there's room for guys to be, like keys to make an impact on special teams as freshmen. And Manny Diaz said back in, in January that he feels like they signed three elite linebacker prospects in their class. He's gotten a long look at two of them. Kavion Keys joins the party soon. Uh, and Manny Diaz, I, I think you made a good point there and, and, and kind of incorporating it to how you can view some of these prospects. They're almost positionless in some ways at the high school level. And a lot of what Manny Diaz talks about philosophically it's almost a positionless defense where you're trying to find your best 11. Now you need certain physical measurements and physical abilities to fill particular roles, but he's not afraid to throw in an extra defensive back, take a linebacker off the field, 
go with three defensive linemen. I'm going to be really curious to see maybe how a guy like Dakari Nelson, uh, maybe a guy like Kavion Keys long-term uh, can force his hand a little bit, maybe force him to think about some other things because that's what these freshmen are trying to do. You're trying to force the coaching staff to consider you. It's not an easy task. Daniel, I mentioned Storm Duck is out of the equation. We've talked about the transfer portal being up uh, as of about a week ago. Um, you've got the transfer portal tracker going at lines247.com. What do people need to know that they may have missed in recent days? And then we'll go to Tyler Calvaruso for the target board to wrap this thing up. Yeah, the, the two newest entrants into the transfer portal uh, are Storm Duck uh, and then Bobby Walchek, uh, a walk-on linebacker. Um, yeah, I think that the the walk-on going into the, the portal sometimes can get a little overlooked and a little underrated. But you know, those are the types of guys that you need on the scout team. Um, I think about last spring, uh, you know, that it's been well-documented Penn state didn't have, uh, you know, enough offensive linemen to really form, uh, you know, two full teams. Well, at the beginning, at the end of the season before spring ball, I think there were a couple walk-on offensive linemen, uh, that entered the portal that, that helped thin those numbers too. So, you know, I think that, you know, when you're running a, a college, major college football program, you do need, you know, a robust walk-on program. You need a lot of those bodies. Um, you need guys that can, you know, be on the scout team that can push guys ahead of them. So, um, you know, I think that if you see more names like that, you know, don't just wave a hand at it. You know, there, there is an effect there. Um, as for Storm Duck, uh, like you mentioned, I, I don't think that we necessarily saw that coming, uh, coming out of spring. Uh, but you know, I think that that's another thing that speaks to the strength of that room uh, that Terry Smith has cultivated. Um, like you said, it wouldn't be a surprise if they look for uh, you know somebody else to come in. Uh, and I, I think that when you think about that room, I think it speaks to the job that the younger players did in terms of bringing the, the floor of that room up. And I also think it speaks to what some of those veterans uh did this offseason, guys like Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy, uh, to where you know they were really able to, you know, for lack of a better term, put the squeeze on. Uh, I think in terms of playing time and, and what the depth chart is going to look like. Um, so I think those are the the two newest movements. Uh, I forget if we talked about it last week, but Jimmy Christ is going to Virginia, uh, which is a school that he had so, he has some familiarity with. Um, and, you know, it feels like every day uh, something different is happening with the portal. Yeah, Chris was committed to Virginia before he flipped to Penn State in that 2020 recruiting cycle. His older brother uh, played for the Cavaliers. So, so yeah, a lot of familiarity there. He entered the portal uh, late last week, and we've seen, again, Devin Ford, not a member of the roster. So uh, not a lot in terms of uh, exodus, but in terms of who we thought might impact games 2023, except for Storm Duck. And that was a big one, and that's hard to ignore. Uh, we talked about cornerback and, and Penn State maybe dipping back in there for transfer portal purposes. Uh, Tyler, this is a shorter window, April 15th through the 30th, where players can enter their name. You don't have until April 30th to bring a player into your, into your plans for 2023. That just is when they can get their name out there in the portal. So what's brewing for Penn State right now? We saw an offer got at wide receiver on Monday. Mentioned cornerback. We've long mentioned defensive tackle. Where else are you watching? With the portal, I would say those four positions are the ones that I'm keeping a pretty close on right now. Wide receiver, corner, and then on both sides of the line. Offensive line wasn't one I was anticipating, but it, there have been offers issued to prospects of that position. I think they're trying to add some more veteran depth there ahead of the season because, you know, end of the day, you could really just not have enough 
bodies, healthy, able bodies for a Big Ten contender. I think that's the way the staff feels about it. And yesterday, we, Penn State offers the, uh, the dynamic Colorado receiver, Montana Lamonius Craig, who lit up the Colorado spring game to the tune of, I believe it was 154 receiving yards, a pair of touchdowns on three catches. He's a hot commodity now that he's in the portal. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition there for Penn State. But staff's going after him hard. He's one of many receivers I would anticipate them jumping in with because they do want to keep getting that room more dynamic and just stockpiling talent. A guy like Monius Craig, he falls under that criteria. And, you know, in the secondary, you are looking for a corner to replace Storm Duck. And I think when it comes to targeting a transfer portal cornerback at this point, after what staff just went through with Duck, you got to find a guy who's really the right fit, who has an understanding for the depth chart and an understanding for the young talent in the room and how they could fit in in Terry Smith's cornerback room. I think that's a priority for the staff right now. But all four of those positions, it's something that Penn State's looking at, and they're going to keep looking at it as more and more names hit the portal. Yeah, we'll keep tabs on that at lines247.com. And by the way, at 24-7 Sports, no one covers the transfer portal at large more comprehensively uh, than our network does. So be sure to check that out on a day-to-day basis here as the portal remains open uh, through April 30th. Then it'll close up shop, and Penn State will still have a chance to, to talk to those uh, those in the portal, host them potentially on campus, and, and work toward roster additions as, as the season quickly approaches. Uh, once you get to May and you start to see these enrollees come to campus, crunch time starts to get going for this staff and personnel decisions need to be made and, and those additions got to come in, in a hurry if you want them to work out for you come fall fellas been a, a lot to go through on this episode i appreciate uh the heavy lifting from tyler calvaruso from start to finish and, and daniel thanks for jumping on board with us to break down what penn state has coming on board in the campus this summer thanks for having us thanks for having me man All right, catch up with you both real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. If you missed it on our last episode from Thursday, we had Landon Tengwall, Penn State offensive lineman, on the show with us, breaking down a lot of that offensive line room, uh, giving us the lowdown on Drew Aller's development and also what he's seen from that defensive front throughout spring ball ahead of a a really cool NIL opportunity for Landon. He broke down a lot of what the NIL uh, opportunities have met between player and fan engagement. Check that out in our last episode. We are back with you later in the week. We'll preview the NFL draft from a Penn State perspective. A lot of draft hopefuls uh, from the 2022 Penn State squad want to hear their name called. Uh, We'll throw out some predictions on where we think guys might land, and we'll also get into it on the latest from the recruiting trail. With us right here at Lions247.com, every day of the week, every week of the year. We'll talk to you real soon at lines247.com and right here on the podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue, stepping aside for now. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.